Welcome, friends and listeners, to Now That's What I Call Podcast, the deep discography dive show. I'm Will, and I'm here with my friend Paul. I'm Paul. He's Paul. And we've switched and it today, up. I know. I'm in the driver's seat. Vroom, vroom, Captain motherfuckers. Phillips joke now. <laughs> we've already done it pre-record, but I feel like we should call it back again. And uh, today we are going to embark on our first episode of My Podcast Valentine, a comprehensive <laughs> exploration of the band my bloody valentine from I, early bits that nobody's heard to later bits that everybody knows i object to it my bloody podcast is a lot better than my podcast valentine i like my podcast valentine more if i'm, if I'm being if i'm being real or we could just do bloody podcast, is an bloody, bloody is an adjective valentine is a noun Yes, but I think my so, podcast Valentine is funnier. And okay. So I want to. I'm going. Hey, I'm, I'm in the passenger seat. I'm not going to backseat drive. I yeah. am. You are not going to Jesus take the wheel, me. You are. You are sitting out for this one. Will hand me the ox cord. Oh wait, you've got. Oh wait. Every single my bloody Valentine album queued up. <laughs> but before we get into the uh, meat of the episode, I wanted to just take a second to be say, Paul, how you doing today? What's what's up with your musical life? I feel like it's just fun to. Kind of check in and uh, have a little bit of a relaxed intro before we get to the actual songs and such. I'm I'm doing well. I uh, I am. It's been fun because we're kind of planning for future sessions. I've been diving into um, bands I want to bands or musical artists I want to cover later, and so I've been kind of digging around and I don't think we're going to do them every time soon because other people have talked about them a lot more, but, uh, re-listened to enter the Wu-Tang 36 chambers and man, Oh yeah, that is a good, that is, that is a, a good, good album. record. It has, I just, I, 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 it's so hard to find an album that matches just the propulsive energy of enter the Wu-Tang. It is, it is so cool, it is so rhythmic, and nothing gets me hyped like um, like some of the songs on, on that Also album. crazy that it's so long and maintains consistency throughout. Because like it I got a feel, uh, it does not feel yeah, it doesn't like feel a long bloated. album. It does not I got feel a, like a um, bloated album. Vinyl Me Please did a uh, like a gold um, reissue. Yeah, how was that pressing? Was how was the reissue? It's, it's a pr- I mean, to be honest with you, like it's just not the most hi-fi album of all time. Like, it's, right? Like, no, I mean the, the original. The no, masters yeah. are not a very hi-fi. Yeah, um, it's not like they were really going for like, oh, like we're, we we got to capture all analog, cut to tape, like crazy. So like it, it's still. I think it sounds good. Like it sounds beefy and punchy, and it's nice to have it spread out over two, you know, discs because it's a full hour. But like, it's not like it's you know. You're not going to write home about like it being the most uh, pristine, crystalline audio in the world. But I'm—I mean, I'm happy I have it because I love putting that record on every now and again. It's—it's it's for me is like very much comfort hip hop. When we did when we did our uh, our samples, it's, it's nothing kind of gets me pumped for the experience. Is the kind of do you think your Wu Tang sword can oh, defeat it's so me? Good. It's yeah, it's one of my favorite running lead-ins to an album ever. My my friend uh, Tom the other day, our mutual friend, was talking about somebody. Oh, gosh, who was it? But it was like a, a more modern rapper, and he was like, "Yeah, they're like the one person." Oh, it was Kanye. It was, and he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> the one Kanye." Probably, probably the one rapper our friend Tom can name. 
Well, so no, he. I've I have been in the car with him while he has done entire Eminem verses, and it's it's a thing to behold. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a lot. But he was like, yeah, Kanye is like the one person who does skits. Like he's the one person. Like I was like, what are you? Ta- <laughs> what are you? I, I, it, I was like, what are you talking about? Like just off the top of my head, I can think about like like Wu Tang from like ninety two, like ninety nine or or ninety one or ninety two, whenever that album came out. Like it's like half skits. And he's like, yeah, but like. I'm talking about like things that matter that are they're big, and I'm like, I can't have this conversation <laughs> with you. Skits are skits are old, skits are very old. That's what I was trying to of, tell him, and I was like, Dude, as, like as much as rap albums skits. can be old, like skits go very deep back into rap history. Yeah. And I know that Tom doesn't listen to this because <laughs> he told me he does, it's too long for him. The episode, so. <laughs> so fuck you, Tom. Skits are old. <laughs> what i wanted to say to you right now um on uh, the other on the other side of the spectrum i rediscovered a piece of music that i once used as stand-in for your obscure music tastes okay and that is uh steve reich's pendulum music oh, where yeah. it is, is literally that the, that's the uh, microphones like it is right, two microphones yeah it is two microphones hooked up to pendulums with different periods and they they swing over a speaker to produce feedback, and the phase changes. And I I heard you listening to it, or heard you mention it. And for years, it was the stand-in for weird. Li- Will listens to some weird stuff. And now that Reich has become so dear to me, and rediscovering it, I'm like, oh, I could, yeah, this is this is great. This is good I was about to say, I think you know way more about him, and I've spent way more time exploring his stuff than I have, which is like, yeah, a it's, it's come it, it's come full circle from like an offhand reference from our college days to uh, me lobbying you hard to be like, no, 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 we can do this guy. Sure, he has like a six decade career and hundreds <laughs> of pieces of music, upwards of seventy can, compositions that we have to go yeah, through. We can we can do it, right? We wouldn't so hemorrhage our low double-digit listeners. We would go down from five to three. <laughs> Actually, so, okay, this is another off-topic, but very funny. The one friend that I do know that, ta- that listens to this podcast, I was like, oh, like, how, how is it listening to the audio samples that we put in? It's like, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, in the last episode, I was getting to one, and I was like, man, I finally am liking some of this music. And then immediately you guys come back, and you're like, yeah, that's like the shitty version of Godspeed. Really <laughs> happy and, nobody, and we don't like when they do that. Listen, and it sounds like some... a movie, and it's bullshit. Some people will say Yankee is their favorite Godspeed album, and you know they they are they are valid. They are to to use the, what the kids say. They are they are valid. <laughs> well, it was um it was the, it was in Luciferian Towers when we were talking about how like it starts to sound like a um like a film soundtrack, like positive right. Godspeed. I think is what it was. Yeah. And then he was like, "Yeah, that's the one thing I've liked from this entire series." I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> brutal. Sorry, dude. Brutal. Listen, brutal. you." You don't have to like the music. You just have to like us. <laughs> you just have to tolerate us, really. Tolerate listen to us. it on 2x speed. You'll get through it faster. Um, but it's interesting you were talking about the microphone stuff, because, um, or that particular piece, because one thing that I've been really digging recently is, you know, um, his name is Pierre Henry, which I'm assuming is said like Pierre Henry or, or some way that's not much better than I would say it. Um, but he is a uh, early, like really early, him and this other guy named Pierre Schaefer, um, and they were very early, like late 40s, early 50s. Is he the um, music concrete music. guy? Yep, yep, he yeah. is. Yeah. And I was able to pick up a box set of his that has been uh, eluding me for a long while, and I was just listening to his prepared piano stuff from the early 50s, mm. tape loop manipulation, and mm, we it is love, tasty. Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, we, we love an impromptu piano, but we also love a very prepared yeah. piano. <laughs> and uh, just, just for our listeners, music concrete, that's kind of the 
because some of the shift from what we would think of as orchestral music to more manipulated kind of forms the bridge between orchestral music and what we would think of as modern studio music, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was basically like a number of, I think mostly French and European um, composers who were kind of taking like bits of radio broadcasts. You know, John Cage did stuff with Pierre prepared piano around then. And they were kind of doing similar things of like making like found sounds and turning them into, they have like the one I just listened to was like the symphony of the human body or something like that. And it's right. like the symphony of one person and it's like one person making a bunch of sounds and then cutting it up and, and splicing it everywhere. But, um, it's, it's really super interesting. If, if anybody is, uh, you know, listening to our, <laughs> if you're one of the 10 people that listens and you have a little bit more of a, uh, uh, a turn on with kind of, uh, oddness and kind of experimental composition stuff, both Paul and I, I think would sign off on early, uh, music concrete, uh, kind of stuff the uh yeah, the 50s, they, 60s tape loop it's cool they, they both form the bridge between written down orchestral music and folk music to people like Leggetti who start making music with computers and people like rice who start doing tape loops and are the beginning of what we would think of as sampling yeah so it's it's weird i mean it's not it's hard to cover some of these things on this podcast because they have uh less than consistent or complete discographies it's all over the place uh with a variety of works and stuff but I don't know. I thought this was a nice little spot to kind of ha at least acknowledge the fact that um, though we are t mostly going to be talking about uh, two bands that play guitars a lot for our first two series, we do enjoy other kinds of music. <laughs> and um, I mean, we, uh, not, we... not until I do a solid year of Steve Wright compositions. <laughs> <laughs> Will people know how much we enjoy this and, and how much they don't enjoy it? But anyway, so, that's I talked enough. for a while. Will, what have you have you been mostly listening to my bloody Valentine? Yeah, I mean, it's been, that's been most of my preparation stuff, and a beautiful segue, Paul, into today's topic. Well, so just, we are starting. Just real quick before we get started, so the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to start with Godspeed is there is an album, Lift Your Skinny Fist Like a Tennis to Heaven, which for me is kind of an all-time 10 out of 10 album mm -hmm. that has been one of my favorites for years and probably always will be. And there's an album with My Bloody Valentine that has a similar place for you. Spoiler so, alert, Paul. We gotta let. We gotta okay, wait until they okay, get up okay. to the uh, Loveless episode. Come on, right, man. Okay, you love <laughs> you you love the album Loveless. I do. Okay, and it's it's. I, I've heard you refer to it as your your favorite album. Paul, you are just spoiling this entire. Se I'm cutting all. We'll, of this we'll out. cut this. this is, we'll cut this all is this terrible. Out. We'll cut all this out. <laughs> Sorry, we'll cut that out. You you do your My Bloody Valentine introduction. Okay, um, so. Listeners, we just cut me ruining everything, so Will is going to get back into introducing My Bloody Valentine. No, I was saying it's a beautiful segue from what we're listening to into our topic today, which is the first episode of my podcast, Valentine, decided on an excellent title. Um, I'm going on strike. I'm doing my, my bloody podcast. My bloody podcast on the side. Yeah. It's going to be all in, uh, in British accents, isn't it? My bloody <laughs> podcast, isn't it? Bit sad. Anyway. Uh, I'm sure that was really beautiful, and I'm sure you loved it. Um, uh, the yeah, so we're going to be talking about uh, My Bloody Valentine, a band that is uh, very near and dear to me in terms of uh, something that was a, a development of my musical taste uh, in my late teens into kind of college area. But I wanted to kind of poll you, Paul, before we get into any specifics. Um, do you have any relationship with this band uh, at all? And if so, what is it? Uh, where did you kind of hear about them? And have you ever kind of dove into their stuff? I think I know some of the answers, but I'd be curious to to hear your take on, as a whole, what do they mean to you, if anything? Well, Will, 
I don't want to spoil anything, but when I ask you about albums you love, there's a My Bloody Valentine album that um, you have described as your favorite album ever. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I will not name it for suspense, but... Yeah, they have, they can't, they, the, how, how else would they want to listen? Like, we have to give them something to listen to the next five episodes. You know, exactly. They don't know which one it's going to be. <laughs> um, I listened to that album, and I really enjoyed that album. Not to the level that you do. I mean, it's, it is very good. It's not kind of in my pantheon of all-time albums, but I really enjoyed it. And that is my entire exposure to to this band. I have heard the term shoegaze, and I have never listened to music that I thought, oh, this is shoegaze music. I'm not sure I understand what that term even means. I'm not sure that I do either. <laughs> but there's a, I, there's a really... So here, okay, so here. You said okay. at one point, oh, I really love My Bloody Valentine. And my brain autocorrected that you loved Bullet for My Valentine. I have had that the, experience happen more than once. And the, people have been dismayed when I've said that. <laughs> That I had this guy, as well as like, oh man, what's got good taste? It's got like these really cool music tastes. It's like, oh yeah, man, I love Bullet for My Valentine. I'm like, oh, Big that's... time into Screamo these days. I was like, that's a weird choice for you. Because I don't think I, I might have not ever heard of My Bloody Valentine. And so I just kind of went around like, yeah, well, he likes like, he likes garage rock. He likes a lot of really kind of in-depth music. And he's also got this real affinity for this one Screamo band. And I don't really get it, but who am I to judge? <laughs> yeah, I, I've had that happen before, too. Uh, that's uh, that, that's going to that's gonna be the foundation for our game later, just so you know. Oh, excellent. Misheard band names. Yeah, I had a friend in, in high school, and I remember him being like, yeah, I'm really into, like, Radiohead. I'm getting into, like, artier stuff. And I was like, oh, awesome. I'm, like, getting into My Bloody Valentine and really enjoying them. And he's like, dude, that is trash. And I was like... I think I like it. <laughs> like, I'm, you, I'm almost ninety percent sure that what we were having was a mishearing of. Uh, I I, bullet for it, I am almost certain. I am almost certain that. Uh, I'm almost, or it could just be that he hates uh, my bloody Valentine, which is possible. It's hard to know. It's, it's like but, you um, talk to you talk to someone about how much they love Nirvana, but you don't know that they're the one huge fan of the psych psychedelic band from the '60s. Exactly. Wait, what is that a reference to? There, there's a psychedelic rock band from the 60s also called Nirvana. Oh, wow. That is a very specific. Exactly. That's a deep um, Anyway. So, yeah. So, you, you, have liked, you have liked this band since high school. Yeah. I mean, for me, my, my history of this goes back to, um, you know, finding, like, their big album is Loveless. I, I think people would know that, regardless of whether we right. say it here or not. We are going to eventually cover Loveless. And um, that is kind of the, the big, like, defining uh, artifact of shoegaze, both the sort of start and the finish for a lot of people, including myself, of kind of their experience with shoegaze. And that was something that I got into um, way back in, I remember having the album cover with, like, the swirly pink guitar front in, like, probably 11th grade or something like that. It was part of my, we've kind of talked about this before a little bit, but my introduction to indie music with like Neutral Milk Hotel, The Flaming Lips, My Bloody Valentine, Velvet Underground. I think the White Stripes were in that group too, which is kind of a funny, like, yeah, uh, kind of aside funny. from it. Well, you mean White Snake. I do mean, I mean, I did. Yes, listen. This is going to be, this is going to be, misheard band names are just going to be the theme. <laughs> you, you, I, I did, uh, I think I went on a trip to Will where he bought a, a White Snake album in our freshman year of college. Yes, it was from a CVS down the road. <laughs> <laughs> he put a white snake. 
I don't think they let you buy White Snake albums at any other spots than uh, than CVS. Is that their, no. their their music? It, is it was it was the high point CBS. of my musical career, and it's all gone downhill since then. <laughs> Everything's gotten worse. Um, but anyway, uh, I really have um, you know grabbed onto this band for a long time, but it also took me quite a while because they themselves, as a band, are a little bit um, shy of their earlier catalogs. So it took me a while to kind of listen to what we are going to listen to today and talk about the very early years of My Bloody Valentine, um, where they started before they were shoegaze, and what their stuff kind of sounded like back in the early 80s. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to hop back in with the first uh, album from My Bloody Valentine. This is Your Bloody Valentine after this. After this. And we're back. So today, Paul, we are starting with the early years of My Bloody Valentine, um, just brief history of the band. They were founded in the like sort of early 80s. I think 1983 is the actual date of My Bloody Valentine. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but Kevin Shields, uh, and who is the guitar player slash songwriter slash sometimes singer for My Bloody Valentine, and the drummer for My Bloody Valentine, who's I think his name is Colum Okoisig. I hope that's close. I'm sorry if it's I, not. I, um, I can't give you any help, my friends. <laughs> I know. Your, it's probably very different, but it is... Your guess uh, is as good as mine. Who knows? But they met in the late 70s in Dublin. Uh, I, what I read was they met at a karate tournament, which I think is very funny. <laughs> um, and I they like were in a variety. A I really, I really I hope that is true. I, I think it adds like a nice little, uh, little wrinkle to the MBV story. Um, and they were in a variety of different um, cover bands, kind of punk, post-punk bands, before forming uh, My Bloody Valentine in 1983. Um, they added uh, vocalist David Conway, which is kind of interesting because if you know My, My Bloody Valentine, and they're I kind of known. For, they're 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 kind of known for the singing of Belinda Butcher, um, who is the second kind of guitar player slash vocalist, um, and she was not even in the band at all at this point. She didn't join until until much later. Um, that was that was the, the biggest whiplash for me going into these albums that there was a man singing. Yes. I mean, in, in like, the better-known stuff, like the Loveless era and um, Isn't Anything era, they do kind of, like, share vocal duties, or there are kind of, like, it's sort of this, they're kind of known for this, like, androgynous double singing sort of thing with both Kevin and Belinda. But uh, as we're about to find out, it didn't start like that <laughs> at all. Um, and so they basically, like, played around but didn't have a lot of success. Um, they added Tina Durkin, who was David Conway's uh, girlfriend, I believe, at the time, on keyboards. Um, and then they ended up moving to the Netherlands and West Berlin uh, in like 1984-ish time period, I believe, which is where they recorded their first mini album, This Is Your Bloody Valentine, in, uh, which was released in January of 1985. Paul, high-level thoughts on this without getting into uh, specifics. What did you think about listening to This Is Your Bloody Valentine, having only ever heard Loveless before? It was kind of shocking. I mean, you had prepped me for something... You had kind of seeded my thoughts. You had kind of prepped me for something unlistenable. You had yeah. really played up how, how, bad it is. <laughs> how bad it is. And it's not good, but I thought it was going to be more unlistenable than it ended up being. It's definitely shockingly different from where they end up. Um, it, yes. <laughs> it feels like... Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into all the descriptors later, but it's just very different. And, I mean, I didn't hate it. I was just 
not really prepared for what it was going to be. Um, some of it's got some good grooves, but then a lot of it is... Um, <laughs> not good grooves. <laughs> not good grooves. I mean, or just like, a lot of it's just kind of boring. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, not, it's not a super exciting album, um, but it's not disastrous in the way that I felt like you would kind of... Uh, yeah, kind of I, I, prob- I probably did couch it in a little bit too much doom and gloom. But like Paul said, if you are familiar with My Bloody Valentine at all, even in passing, what you've heard from them is probably from the album Loveless, and it probably is like, you know, what is known as shoegazing, this very, like, dense, ethereal, dream-poppy kind of um, hazy sound. Again, like the androgynous mixed vocals and sort of this, like, wafty guitars kind of floating all over everything. It's a really, really lush sound. Um, but this first mini-album, This Is Your Bloody Valentine, uh, does not sound like that. So we're going to get right into the first track, Forever and Again. I'm going to play a little sample of that for Paul and I, and then we're going to talk about it for a moment. Well, I can read your feeble mind Your dangerous simplicity Why just whisper forever Of my position That background singing is so funny thrust of it high level thoughts on that song paul man it, i was so shocked when the rock it is genuinely shocking <laughs> when the rockabilly vocals started i feel like i'm in a middling broadway production like there's something about the the cadence of the drums in the background and the way he's delivering it that i feel like is kind of be like and i'm this guy and i'm here to say here's setting up the story today <laughs> i don't that's yeah I don't know it, why it has a it, it has like a show tunesy kind of cabaret. It has a very to the cab- I think cabaret is the best. Um, I think cabaret is the best way to put it. It's it's. it's yeah, kind I, of I remember the first time I I put this on, and I was like, "Oh, my bloody Valentine!" Like I love them, and then it just opens with like the and then it goes into like the I'm like, "What the fuck the, is this?" The backing vocals are honestly my favorite part of the song. They're so goofy They're, and ridiculous. It's my favorite, do 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 do. Like I really <laughs> yeah, like I the backing vocals, but it feels like hesitant, almost like they're kind of embarrassed to be recording <laughs> them. Like like it feels like they're not committing fully to to the idea of backing vocals, like. I mean, basically, if you just listen to it with us, like, uh, listeners, it's so um, indebted to a lot of what was going on in the post-punk time frame. It's got some goth in it. It's got some... Goth, rockabilly rockabilly. things. Yeah. The Cramps is one that gets tossed around often with them. Like, I don't know if you've listened to them. They're not my favorite thing, but it's kind of like a a rockabilly, like a better version of this. Um, Oh, you mean the Harry Harry Amps? No, I mean the cramps, my man. <laughs> okay. The hairy cramps. The hairy um, cramps. And, uh, yeah, I think also as a lead singer, he kind of is going for like a – we'll hear a little bit later in some of these other vocals, but he's going for like a Jim Morrison by way of um, – uh, oh, my God. Why am I blanking on the uh, lead singer of Joy Division? That's so embarrassing. Ian uh, – Van Morrison. Uh, no. <laughs> um. Ian Curtis, duh, that's 
that's terrible that I didn't know that. Um, so like it has this kind of weird cabaretness to it, and it just it feels to me like a weird post-punk um, cover band more than an original thing. Yeah, it's it's very is very embedded in its time, and it's it's a really interesting counterpoint to Godspeed because we list, we just listened to Godspeed's first EP, that was hmm. our most recent episode. And our whole conversation was about even when Menuk was operating in a different genre space, it was still really recognizably his sound. Yeah. And then F sharp, A sharp is right out the gate. It is inventive and it sounds like Godspeed and it doesn't really sound like a lot of other music. It's not obviously indebted to a certain scene in the way that this album is. And yes, this album is deeply indebted and sounds like a lot of other things that were coming out at that time. And it's so interesting. I mean, as, not to spoiler, but looking on the horizon, we're looking at two almost opposite trajectories where Godspeed yeah. in its first couple of projects produces its defining 10 out of 10 work and then kind of struggles to recapture the magic, which is not to, to denigrate them for that. Um, but... Basically, I think most people would agree that they do their best work very early in their career. My Bloody Valentine starts off sounding, A, not like where they would end up, B, sounding like a lot of other things at the time, and definitely not having the kind of personality. It's, a lot, it's even difficult for me to see the seeds that will grow into Loveless here. I can see... There are select pieces that I tried to kind of put out that we will get to that, that I can yeah, see we'll, we'll, very We'll get to bit. it. There, there are times when, yeah. especially in the guitar tones, I could tell like, okay, like I, I see, I see what's going to turn into the shoegaze and, and that stuff. But yeah. it's, it's far away. It's early in its embryonic journey. We should say this album, um, Kevin Shields, who again is kind of the mastermind behind my bloody Valentine in its most well-known form he played bass and guitar on this. Um, Colin McCoysig uh, did drums, as he had for the rest of My Bloody Valentine stuff. And then um, David Conway and Tina Durkin were, did uh, vocals and keyboards, uh, and they were not with the band for all that long. So all that being said, we're going to go to the second track on this album called Home Lovin' Guy. guy it's it's some of the rockabilly show tune sound is a little gone um but it's it's not a it's not how this band will learn how to play guitar yeah it's i mean it's very interesting like it's it's so like it sounds really basic like in terms of the chord progressions and the solos yeah. kind of going on over it it sounds like it's it's just very much designed to be like kind of that 
I don't even know what you call it, like punk, like blues kind of thing with like resolved chord structures and like here's a little guitar solo, yeah. <laughs> and which is you know n guitar solos in general are not something that this band is particularly known for. Like Kevin Shields right. is, is perhaps a lot of people's guitar heroes, but he's not a guitar hero in like the Jimmy Page you know sense of like just getting up on stage and melting faces. Not so even it's, in it's a Jay Massis kind of way, who can kind of do both. Uh... Yeah, who does both indie? Well, actually, and so they're actually good friends and have uh, played together. Oh, really? Um, yeah, uh, Jay Mask is from Dinosaur Jr. and Kevin Shields from My Bloody Valentine. They have like, they have YouTube videos you can find where they do kind of like improvised guitar stuff together. To be honest with you, I think the combination of both of their styles makes a worse both, like, makes both of them worse thing. Yeah, I mean, at the end we, of it, we've talked about Jay Massis might be. Pound for pound, my favorite guitarist of all. He is a time. truly uh, uh, melodic genius shred master while yeah. still maintaining, like. Def definitely responsible for my favorite guitar solos of all time. Yeah, he is he is awesome. And I really like Jay. I, I love uh, Dinosaur Jr. in if, general. If anyone, if any, the next time anyone listening wants to hear just an incredible guitar solo, listen to the entire back half of We're Not Alone on the Dinosaur Jr. album Beyond. It is yeah, that is a great is, that is a great song. It is one of my deepest musical pet peeves that when we've talked about this, I think you pointed this out to me. The the vinyl for Beyond the original recording ends on that song and that guitar solo. And it it's a it's a perfect album, I think, up to that point. And then the C D version adds like three more songs and it completely. Yeah, four bonus two bonus tracks or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And it, they're like it doesn't even set them off as bonus tracks, and they're just not as good. And I hate that the album gives up the chance to just end pretty perfectly. Well, th th this guitar solo that we just listened to also no. gives up the chance to be good. Yeah. So, by, by so it makes sense. Being, by just not being good. But by just not being good. And, and still having the hesitant background vocals, I think, is so funny. Just like, oh, ah, oh, ah. <laughs> like way back. Very... They're very out of step with everything that is go everything else that is going on in the song. Yeah, it's it's um it's a it's a bizarre fusion, you know. But like like we said, uh, it, this is kind of emblematic of the early stuff. Um, uh, this is not perhaps like the most riveting album to go through because a lot of it sounds the same. I think there are some pieces that are that are a little bit interesting. Well, can we do but, um, my uh, the song I really liked was "Tiger in My Tank," and that's the one hmm. where I felt like I could hear. Um, maybe it's just because there was a better drum groove going on that song so i don't think we're going to do every song on this album right uh i was planning on doing every song on this album oh, okay well, the, well you're, you're in the driver's seat we'll, <laughs> we'll go for two and a half hours well i mean there's only six songs so <laughs> it's, it's not really it's not it's not really um, that crazy i i will i will play elden ring tomorrow i guess <laughs> um yeah the next track is don't cramp my style um which is kind of a funny thing considering that like the cramps are some somebody that they get uh, do you think to that's a lot, on purpose? So, uh, do you think that's an it homage? It, it has to be. It has to be on purpose. I think okay. it has to be like a little, like a little, a little goofy. Like, yeah, a we, know, we know we're kind of crampy. Yeah, a, a, a bit cheeky, a bit cheeky Nando's. You know, that's that's <laughs> sorry, that's that's, that's my bloody uh, podcast. Shut, right? wrong, shut wrong, up. wrong episode. <laughs> wrong episode. Yeah. So uh, this is the next song. Don't cramp my style. <laughs>
perhaps just as kind of uh, boilerplate post-punk as some of the other stuff, but I think there's some kind of fun Very vocal stuff. Diff- He's definitely going for like an Iggy Stooges, Iggy Pop kind of like slash Nick Cave, like birthday party kind of freak out sound. So. It's different than the rest of this album. I mean, it's, it's a far cry from the, the cabaret sound. And I mean, it's, it's, it's something different. I didn't like it more, but I liked it. Yeah, different. I mean that that's like that's a funny thing about it is like David Conway is like I can do multiple things with my voice. You right. Know? You won't like you won't like any of them, it's, but I can do them. It's funny to hear him try out a bunch of different stuff on this album, knowing that none of them will be where this band <laughs> ends up. Like he's, yeah. he's trying he's trying on a bunch of different outfits and he will walk out the store with none of them eventually. Yeah, and they all end up sounding like kind of odd cover versions or like takeoffs of, like I said, things that already yeah. kind of existed. Um, this next song is Tiger in My Tank. Paul, you had mentioned that this one's one you kind of enjoyed it's a little a more. Gro- so let's it's, hear. it's got a groove and I have a lot more patience for a song with a groove than a song without with a, a groove. groove. Than not. So, Tiger in My Tank. that it's like it reminds me of the riff yeah it reminds me of a joy division song you know i mean like which again is something i've compared them to but like specifically that riff and bass and kind of the more forward drum stuff i'm into that one the the riff is better constructed the bass and drums are doing a lot more to to drive the song forward and it was it was really the first and kind of only point on this album where i was really having fun interesting i i do have a song later that i think is a is is the high point of the record for me but i i agree that like i think this steps away from a little bit more of like the kind of cabaret, a little bit more of the rockabilly stuff, which is which even in its best version is kind of grating to me. Like I, I don't really like bands that do that very well. So so like <laughs> so obviously a, a right. You definitely don't like the version. mediocre version of it. You barely yes. like. The, I barely the like the good, good version. version of it. The good version. And of it. so, but I feel like that one, you know, Tiger in My Tank. It, it definitely reminds me of a Joy Division esque kind of song. Um, and I'm not I'm not mad at it exactly. Um. Exactly. The last little bit I'm not mad at it exactly. I'm not mad at it exactly like I am with some of the other pieces of this album. Uh, next song is The Love Gang. Again, I think pretty predictable chord structures. I like some of the heavier riff stuff. It, it almost gets like a little bit industrial to me, like some of the, the the heavier guitar kind of drum riff things. But do you have do you have thoughts on the Love Gang? You mean the Love Shack? No, I don't have any thoughts on this track. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean this is only, uh, pretty forgettable. Uh, only in that, like when it gets industrial, it does get a little fuzzier, and that starts to I think presage the the direction they'll go where they end up with very like distorted and fuzzy guitars and not this kind of like riffs of 
of a tiger in my tank, but um, only only interesting is kind of like a part where they fl- flirt with some of their later sounds, really. Yeah, I, I think I think overall that is kind of like a a, a, a loser of a track on this uh, on an album that is pretty unmemorable. That is an especially unmemorable song, which right? Is, which, which is, is interesting. Which is interesting that my favorite song on this album is not the song that sounds like the great album they later do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's it's a strange beast. This early one. Uh, next up is Inferno. We'll take a little uh, listen to that. This one has a little bit of Tina Durkin on keyboards, which I think is kind of a, an interesting lens. Lends it like a slightly different vibe than the rest of the album. We'll take a take a listen. Yeah, sort of the end of that track. It, it kind of reminds me a bit of like the Doors. It gets a little bit like Doorsy in there uh, with the sort of more keyboard forward thing and, and the more kind of, again, uh, cabaret showy kind of vocals, which is I sort of relate a little bit with like Jim Morrison, that kind of like sexy front man sort of, sort of vibe that, that David Conway is trying to capture at least. Yeah, again, is he kind of continues this tour of things he's trying out? Things he's trying out, yeah. He kind of He kind of steps back into his cabaret vocals, but... Yeah, I mean, I think Doors is a great call on kind of the keyboard backing of this. And I love the yeah, Doors. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I do. I, I, I like the Doors as well. So I, I like a song that makes me think, oh, man, I could go listen to the Doors right now. Yeah, it's just it feels like this whole album is like, what if we took a soup of the 10 things that you liked from other places and made it taste kind of bad? Yeah. And uh, again, so interesting that none of that would end up being the band's sound. Yeah, and so let's let's finish off uh, this. This is your bloody Valentine with the Last Supper, the final track uh, on this album. I mean, this is super Doors to me. It just sounds like fucking yes, Doors. Yes, the organ is incredibly Doors. I think that chorus is by far the best thing on this album. Like, it, to me, I, I think it, it is like the only piece that sounds like it has interesting and kind of uh, a propulsive melodic structure to it. I don't know what you feel about this song. Yeah, but, but it's, that is it's like not, it's not the worst thing on the album. I like the kind of like is I like the kind of Dorsey organ little squeaky organ going on in the background. Yeah, the, and, the keyboard organ sound is is very is very indebted to the Doors. I feel like and. Yeah, it's 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 a nice way off the album, and it, it as a goodbye, it, it it is part of why I didn't come away from this album being like that was unlistenable. Just kind of like <laughs> that was a weird mishmash of things. It is a weird mishmash of things. So this is your bloody Valentine, released January nineteen eighty five on Tycoon Records. Um, overall thoughts on this for me, it sounds like 
a cover band, you know, we've, we've kind of said this repeatedly, but it sounds like a cover band trying to meld together the like six to eight bands that they really like and kind of failing to make something more interesting than any of them. Um, I would rate this out of, um, what should our rating scale be for, for My Bloody Valentine? What's a fun? Uh, Bloody Valentine's. Bloody Valentine's? Uh, yeah. Well, it's named after a uh, 1981 Canadian slasher film. My Bloody Valentine. So out of... Didn't they make a remake of that recently? Yes, they did. I think like it was like My Bloody 3D. Valentine 3D. I think yep, it had... Yep. A, I, I love when they thought 3D was the future that they would release films within 3D as part of the like actual title. And I think it takes place in a mine. Yeah, I think you're right. That's our that's our Patreon content, though. Much like much like Godspeed has an associated right, we have a, black we have and a white. Film, uh, we have a film watching. We'll watch the uh, the the documentary Godspeed You Black Emperor, and then we'll watch the Slashers My Bloody Valentine. That is actually fine. I did not put that together until just now that both of these bands are. Well, now we only do to... we we will only do bands from now on with uh, movie tie-in possibilities. Oh boy, that's made this podcast significantly more specific and difficult to program for. <laughs> But I appreciate the, the specificity. So for me, I mean, I think I this like rates somewhere in like a four out of ten to me. Like I, I think that this is a pretty a pretty poor outing. So I, I would give it four Valentines of the bloody variety out of ten. Where, where are you on this? Yeah, again, just to contrast it, it's so interesting that our last episode we talked about the kind of beginning EP of Godspeed, which is similar in that it doesn't really sound like much of their later output, but. Both, I feel like both our feelings on Harry Amps was that if Ephraim had stuck to that, he would have been in a much smaller niche, but he could have carved out a memorable spot in in yeah within in the space. niche where that album is. And if My Bloody Valentine had stayed here, I don't think anyone would remember them as anything other than a weird like part of a scene that fought they kind of failed to coalesce into anything interesting. So yeah, I'm going to go three, three and a half. Oh, okay. Um, interesting. That's funny. Cause I, I hype it up as being bad and then <laughs> you rated it lower than I did. <laughs> well, for but, me, I, I mean, thought, I thought I was going to hear like a straight like a one. What? Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how much you hyped it up for me. Yeah. I think it is. It's such a funny thing too. Like I was reading about early my bloody Valentine and they were saying like, they couldn't get traction, and somebody was like, "Get out of Dublin. Dublin's not receptive to the music. Like, we'll go to Europe. Well, didn't they, and we'll didn't record, they record stuff this in Berlin? Yeah, this was recorded in West Berlin in, in 1984. And I'm like, was it really Dublin, or was it just the fact that this is <laughs> that this is just like not particularly compelling kind of cover band level uh, takeoffs of like better post punk acts, which you know makes it a you know it, it is what it is. But for both of us, not even breaking the ceiling of a five uh, for the first release, you know, they definitely have room to grow as a band. Yes. And, and again, we, we, we said we're going to use the whole scale of 1 to 10. I think yes. the lowest Godspeed albums we had is like 6s or so. Uh, I think we had I think we both had Yankee at 5 maybe, but I might be wrong about I that. A, somewhere I think around between there. a 5 and a 6. So this is this is a good a good chunk below my least favorite Godspeed album. Yeah. And I, I think you're right that like three between three and four I think is a pretty is a pretty safe place for this to live. There are moments of things that will become other things, and there are moments where they sound like what they're trying to rip off in a way that is not worse than, right. than what they're trying to rip off. But like that's the, the highest praise that I can give to it. The, the the best parts of this album are where they tangentially brush against the things they are imitating. Yeah, other good things. <laughs> yes. But uh, Grow and Change they did, and after this uh, album, the band relocated to London, 
Um, and they replaced uh, Tina Durkin, who was the keyboard player. She left and was replaced with Debbie Googe. Is how I'm going to say it. G-O-O-G-E. The Googe. Um, and she, That's what they called the her. The Googe. The D-G's. Googe. And she, she was, uh, from, from then on, uh, old, old Debbie was the bass player for the band. Um, so this kind of like starts to solidify their lineup a little bit more. <laughs> so wait, they replaced their keyboardist with a bassist. With a bass player, yes. What, what yes. happened with the bassist on the last album? Well, Kevin Shields played bass and guitar on the last album. Okay, okay. So he moves just over to guitar. Yes. Although in That's what a really awkward a... day where you show up and you're like, oh, cool, we got a new keyboard player. But they're like, oh, this is our new bassist. Well, I think I think it was almost like a self-selection kind of thing, from what I read. I think I think like they were looking for like housing or something like that, and like Tina was having a hard time like finding an apartment, and she was like, "Also, I don't think this is good." And then like like from what I gathered, it it seemed like it was more of something that was like that's just, it wasn't I feel like going to that's, last. That's how I would get kicked out of a band is I would show up thinking we were going to audition keyboard players, and they'd be like, "Oh, we found something great," and then she comes in playing bass, and I'm like, "But but I'm." <laughs> but I'm the bassist. And they're like, no, no, <laughs> Paul, no. Yeah, so Jeez. mostly this next album that we're going to talk about is, a, is an EP, which was released in December 1985, so the same year, and it is Geek, uh, with an exclamation point. Um, it's only four we tracks. Love, we, 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 only, love, we love punctuation. We love punctuation. Um, and so this, like I said, it, very similar to This Is Your Bloody Valentine, um, has similar, like, sort of general profiles of sip of bands and sounds that they're trying to hit the difference being here that there's no more keyboard and instead uh debbie is replacing tina um and we now have a more permanent bassist in the group so we're going to go through this real quick it's only four tracks like i said it's not um particularly different i kind of lump it together with this is your bloody valentine but i think both of them together give a good uh sort of view of what this band was in its very early uh incarnation so this is the first track off that EP called No Place to Go. Backing vocals are much improved here. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know if it was everything. Debbie or something, but I thought this. I I'll be honest. I thought this EP was a, a significant step up. Step up, for, yeah, from yeah. from the first one. From the yeah, first I mean one. the guitars um, like are are like way more kind of fuzzed out, a little more raw in your face. I think the backing right. like vocals are better, and the chorus structure is better. So like right this here, on, this track is already better. <laughs> this time on the guitars, you can see where they are going to go with their guitars. Um, yeah, and it's and I like the fuzzed out nature of them and i think the chorus is already more memorable i think all the choruses on this album i think are better or at least as good as kind of the better choruses on the last album yeah so it's like i think that's where this ep is kind of a cool stepping stone where it's like it is a very similar sound but getting better at it and then what we'll find in in the next episode or two of this podcast is that 
the sound then begins to change and they get better at it simultaneously. So this is like, we have like two vectors of improvement and only one of them is going up right, on this album. But like eventually they get to kind of multiple levels of change, which I think is kind of a fun and, and I think satisfying way to kind of progress their career. But, but I agree with you, like just from the rip, um, a significantly better outing than anything that was on the first uh, uh, little mini album that they did. Uh, and we're going to go on to the next track, Moonlight. Uh, hear a little bit of that. The vocals are kind of back to cabaret silliness. Yeah, and yeah. I, I just, I guess I, I like the effect of the silly cabaret vocals over the fuzzed out guitars better than on the kind of hodgepodge instrumentation of the past album. It's, it's for me, it's just a more memorable juxtaposition. Juxtaposition is exactly the word. God, this is why you. Got a perfect SAT score. This is why I had to look up what Ian Curtis's name was earlier. <laughs> Despite having the a SAT Joy Division tattoo on my have, body. You do have... You do. I have a Joy Division tattoo on my body and, a... and cannot name the lead singer off the dome, which is embarrassing. I mean, that's why I tattoo people's names on my body so that I can remember their names. Yeah, I should write... I was like, my next Joy Division theme tattoo is just a list of all band members. A list of all the band members of Joy Division. <laughs> That's just what I get on the rest of my body is just like plain black Comic Sans script of different band members' names so I can always remember them. Man. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a this is like not – this to me, like it goes back – it kind of regresses to the first album, like yeah. more rockabilly kind of thing. I think some of the guitar texture, like you were saying, is a little more interesting than the like – the, the more standard or whatever post-punk sound of the first one, but, but it's not my favorite track. However, this next track – Love Machine, let's hear a little bit of that because I think that this is a cool so, step So, Will, a, a, a quick question for you, and maybe this Please. is a beyond. So, when they're fuzzing out the guitars, is that a production decision or is that a pedal they're applying to the guitar or a different style of play? Um, it is some a... Of all, some of all three. Yeah, I think... I mean, My Bloody Valentine has is a studio band uh, as they get, like, later on. Like, they are kind of known for taking... I mean literally years and and tons of money and time to kind of like finesse the perfect sound in, in the studio but they're also known as like one of the most monstrously loud live bands and that is a combination of like big amplifiers turned up very loud to the point where they are you know kind of distorting mm, so and then also putting some of in it front is just getting guitar pedals some of it is a fuzzing that is kind of overloading the electrical equipment no sort of i mean it's it's more just like distortion like breakup you know when you push like uh amps to a certain limit they start to you know distort um and then it, they you can add obviously like guitar pedals in front of them and so like this is i feel like a time period in like the mid 80s where you know a band that we're going to talk about some in the next um episode is jesus and mary chain which i don't know if you've uh, listened to them ever but they are kind of are are very well known for like really really fuzzed out just like loud as shit like pop music kind of um right. and i think like 
My Bloody Valentine's doing a similar thing um, here where it's like the guitar tones are just kind of like really pushed, distorted guitars, um, but then the music itself is just, you know, it hasn't kind of caught up to the, the texture of the, of the guitar yet. All right, thank if that you. Makes sense. <laughs> thank you for answering my question. I'm not sure if that was a good uh, a good answer. Uh, no, of, I mean it, 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 it answered my question. Uh, and so on to Love Machine, the third track on this little EP. <laughs> I think now we're getting so, somewhere with this. Okay, that's actually very interesting. Um, I am very excited about that song right when it pops on with the women's vocals and the guitars. Yep, yep. And, then and then the bass then brings Davey. it down a little bit for me, and then David comes on, and I'm like, I don't like this song anymore. Yeah, it's really interesting because like, the intro like first 10 seconds are like I actually think incredibly good. It's sort of like yes, a mix of no, like a, a Beach really... Boise kind of vocal harmonics, and like we were talking about this, like extremely fuzzed out um, noise rock guitar, and then everything that piles on after. <laughs> it's like I'm at a nine with just the ladies' vocals and the fuzzy guitar, and then the bass brings it down to like a seven, just because it's not where I think the song is going, and then the male vocals just string it all the way back down. It's a really disappointing. Uh, step down of where I think they're going to go with the song. It is. But I but I still think that like that first little bit is is kind of like the nugget that will crystallize into what is yes. good about yes. My this Bloody is, Valentine. This is the peak of of sounding uh, like they could go somewhere. <laughs> yes. This is the peak of this could be a band worth listening to and it's 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 almost it's almost gorgeous in that moment where you're like okay, we're getting somewhere before it it kind of crashes back down to yeah, it's just it's hard to shake rockabilly. the pieces that are the pieces that are not working are are difficult to extricate and like this what I'm playing this whole list from is a is a YouTube comment and I, one of the comments is really funny where it's like it would be it was something about like man they should release these first like two or three albums without vocals and they would be great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yep, that that is very accurate. The like no disrespect, well some disrespect, but the male vocals are kind of the weakest points of each of the songs and then the instrumentation will just go from mostly not very interesting to sometimes actually pretty interesting. Yeah, pockets of, of interest. And then yeah. finally, the last little bit of this EP, the final song we're going to talk about today is The Sandman Never Sleeps. This fucking sucks. <laughs> not very good. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just rough. Like, there are things about it, again, like the really fuzzed out um, buzzsaw guitars, but like, this is back to that kind of post-punk rockabilly thing that I think is, is just not, is not, like, not good. I just don't like it. Yeah, I prefer the I prefer like fuzz but still melodic to the actual buzzsaw guitars. That kind of 
creeps over into something I don't Yeah, that's enjoy. like a, a level over the line for you on that one. Um, I would not listen to it while reading Neil Gaiman's classic Sandman graphic novels. <laughs> it would be a bad... It would be a bad... Uh, a bad duo, pairing? <laughs> a bad pairing. You, do you, like, you like Sandman, right? Yeah, I, I read... Um, actually, I remember I started reading those... This is a, a specific weird dive into our history. I read the first uh, trade paperback of the Sandman uh, series while I was waiting for you in the Charlotte like cell phone airport parking lot <laughs> when we were in oh, college. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know why I remember it, but I remember parking my car, and I was waiting to pick you up at the Charlotte airport and reading the first uh, like 10 issues of The Sandman. Uh, a very cool graphic novel uh, series, well, comic series, if you're if you're into it. Yeah, I don't like I don't like a lot of Neil Gaiman's fiction, but uh, I really like Sandman. I think it's yeah. his best. I think it's his best work, like by by a fair distance. Yeah, by a fair distance, and mostly because you know I thought American, my... mostly because I thought American Gods was very very bad. I, I I have not read. I don't think I don't know that I've read much of any of his stuff. Um, but like Sandman is the best for him. Sandman is the worst for my bloody Valentine. Yes. Cool segue. By yeah, like I, you I think, mean the opposite of. Yes. In that both are quality levels, but inversely related to each other. But I, yeah, I do not care for this song. I think it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of this EP, which is a, a tragedy because there are cool pieces to it. Um, but I mean, overall for me, the Geek with an exclamation point EP, I think it's a slight improvement. Yeah. Um, I'm going to creep it up to like a, maybe like a four and a half-ish I'd, uh, I'd also like, creep it up to the four range, just for those moments where you can see, uh, where you can see what the band is going to be doing. Yeah, and um, that wraps up what we're going to be talking about today. The first two uh, uh, little mini albums and EPs. Uh, on the next episode, we're going to get into some of their more transitional stuff and see where their um, sound changes, which I think is like a really fun kind of place. But uh, I mean, overall thoughts on this version of my bloody valentine i think we've kind of beat it to death but um it's interesting historically if you're into this band and you want to see a cool artifact of of where they started but i do not think it is music that holds up uh on its own even a little bit i don't think that this is what I, as anything yeah. i would recommend to somebody uh, at all <laughs> i think you probably have similar it's, feelings they are interesting in the way that going to a museum is it, it's interesting in the way that going to like a a smaller local museum is interesting where you can look at it and be like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but it, in exactly that tone of voice, like it is, yes, it is interesting that this music turned into my bloody Valentine. It does not have a ton of musical value for me outside of that, like observation where I might see a plaque next to an old train and be like, Oh, that's interesting. Yes, it is. It is interesting insofar that it exists <laughs> and that, and that, like, its existence gives context to something else that is actually interesting. Right. Which so, is, is pretty damning, but I, I do genuinely feel that way about the first two. How, how <laughs> long do we go before things start to get, like, fun? <laughs> well, I, I actually think that the next EP is a huge step forward. And then okay. I, I think the next episode is where it starts to get um, to places where I, I like it. I think this is – that's kind of why I group these into – into one episode is that like I think they are both of the same time period they're both 80, 1985 recordings and releases and I think they both have the same faults uh, and slight glimmers of promising but they, they start to change pretty rapidly in the next year after that so we will get to something that is not as bad but for right now uh, on 
my podcast, Valentine, we have yet to crack a, a five out of ten on our rating of any yeah. of these albums. So a rough start it's, to the band. It's I really think. interesting to start off on the opposite end, where yeah. I, I think F sharp, A sharp, and Skitty Fists are nines and tens of albums, and I think these albums are threes and fours. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, as somebody who you know, is an avowed My Bloody Valentine fan, uh, do, do, not agree, do not disagree with you. Like, yeah. I, I agree that they are not great. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then I've got a little quiz game, a little game quiz. Oh, I'm very excited. All right. All right, welcome back, everyone. So, Will, I've got a little quiz game that I think I'm going to call No, You Idiot. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, my first, we, we discussed that my first exposure to this band was a misunderstanding between the seminal shoegaze band, My Bloody Valentine, and the very mediocre Screamo band. I mean mediocre. I still will listen to some of my high school Screamo, and My Bloody Valentine is not even one of the better ones. Oh, yeah, that's um, what I was about to say, actually. I, I, would, I like some context because Screamo is not something I've ever listened to. Like, so, within, so you're saying even within the realm of Screamo, that My Bloody Valentine is, is not even... Or sorry, I, I mean, I don't Jesus. really know how, for my how people would not... still like that would rank um, Screamo bands, but, like, I don't know. Like, I'll still listen to Atreyu from time to time. Um, stuff like that. But in any case, uh, I have here a collection <laughs> of uh, similar-sounding al- uh, band names. Oh, boy. And I'm going to describe them as such. I meant the seminal shoegaze band, not the mediocre screamo band. If okay, you and know, then I, I have to fill in the, if the two. You, if well, so if you can fill in both bands, you get to say, "No, you idiot! It's not. <laughs> okay. It's not my bloody Valentine. It's bullet for my Valentine." And if you can't, I get to call you an idiot. And feel free to be as colorful with your language as oh, you like. This is a this, see. This is the kind of game prizes that I that I love. All right, <laughs> I love this. Um, okay, so Will, um, I meant the legendary California funk rock band, not Mark Kozilek's '80s California slowcore bands. Hmm. I know you know, I know this. The, I, I know, know for sure the second one. Legendary California funk rock band sounds a lot like Mark Kozilek's '80s slowcore band. Oh, oh, I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking funk. I'm thinking Parliament. But I think no, you idiot. You don't mean Red Hot Chili Peppers. You mean the Red House Painters. You fucking okay. moron. You got okay. Good. You saved it at the end. I was worrying that you weren't really taking full advantage of the opportunity, but <laughs> you, you got it there on the end. Okay. Well, I meant the Canadian rocker who sang "Summer of '69." Not the singer-songwriter who covered an entire Taylor Swift album. Paul, the fact that you think that Brian Adams and Brian Adams are the same person makes me fucking sick to my stomach, you degenerate bastard. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Um, I meant Jarvis Crocker's classic Brit Rock act, not the semi-minor Wisconsin indie band. This one's a little tougher. I was about to say, I, I definitely know the first one, but, um, okay, well, um. It, it is, this might be a mistake. It, it's very possible you've just never heard of the second band. Paul, the fact that you think that I only know Pulp and not Gulp? What a <laughs> dummy you are. I have no well, idea what the second Well, you absolute idiot. You've never heard of Slow Pulp. 
Oh my god. Fuck you. <laughs> All right. Is I it like slow pulp as in like slow gin, like S L O E, or is it like no slow slow, slow pulp? Okay, that that one was a mistake. We'll cut that one out. Well, no, I, meant, I love that. <laughs> I meant Andy Warhol's house band, not Slash's aging hard rock supergroup. <laughs> this is okay. This is a fantastic game, and I love you very much. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it's landing. I was worried about it. <laughs> Paul, how dare you think that instead of loving. The Velvet Underground. I love <laughs> Velvet Revolver. Like a fucking basic chunk. That is, that is, that is the one you would be most offended by the misunderstanding. Uh, that is, that is the one I would that be, is, it is, yeah. Oh yeah, someone, I've heard you're really into, what's the, what's the one band you really love? If, Velvet if Revolver? you were talking about how much you love the Velvet Underground and someone walked away from that conversation thinking that you thought that like half of Guns N' Roses and like the surviving members of Van Halen, you would be really mad at that misunderstanding. Somebody just gets me like a slash top hat for Christmas. And they're like, I thought you loved it. I'm like, you don't understand me at um, all. I meant, this is another risky one. I meant okay. your beloved early 2000s garage rockers, not the Rhode Island prog band who stole their album naming conventions from Coheed and Cambria. Early 2000s garage rockers for me is going to White Stripes, but I don't know. Well, you smooth-brained asshole. Oh, God. I meant Deer Hunter, not the Deer Hunter. (laughs) Some of these are questionable, but I like them still. (laughs) All right. Okay, final final one. Final one. All right. You, uh, you, you fucking, you you subhuman. What's the what's the huge Wu Tang one? I fucking show your asshole shut fucking feed you until you explode. <laughs> we're I mean, bringing we're it full circle. Skits. We're talking Call back. skits. Torture, torture. Torture. Um, all right, I meant the guy who did Brown Eyed Girl, not the lead singer from The Doors or the rock band started by two brothers from Amsterdam. Or. Or the rock band, the name for the rock band that was then fronted by a different lead singer later. I'm talking about Van Morrison, not Jim Morrison, Van Halen, or Van Hagar. You <laughs> wait, piece they called shit. it. They called it Van Hagar. I mean, colloquially by fans, it wasn't the okay, actual name. Okay. But when Sammy Hagar took over, they called that era the Van Hagar era. Um, yeah, I, this is a this was a fantastic game. You are a genius. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really because we also had an incident about. Um, I mean, we didn't actually get the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Red Hot Painters <laughs> confused. Mixed I'm not up. sure everyone has actually made that uh, confusion before. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a, my, my favorite one that I, I didn't, I did, I was not confident enough that uh, I could see that there's there's Steely Dan and there's a mm-hmm. Fairport Convention adjacent British folk revival band called Steel Eye Span, and I really like the idea that someone would confuse the two of them. But that I was. Is- very specific. I would never have known that second band. You don't like Fairport Convention? Uh, I, 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 I know of Fairport Convention, but I, I would not have known the, the related groups to them. I'm not even uh, sure. What is Fairport Convention? Like, what's a big song from them? I don't even know if I know. They just do, like, folk, not in the sense of, like, Americana, but in the sense of, like, actually kind of old English music. Ah, ye, um, ye olden times folk? Ye olden times music. I mean, let me... Um, when are we going to do my current 93 series is my question. Oh, ac- actually, good um, call. Maybe my, maybe my most specific uh, taste. 
I mean, they do things like Fairmore Convention does stuff like Scar, like Scarborough Fair. Okay. Like I don't you know, know that. <laughs> are you going to Scarborough Fair? Um, oh, okay. Who knows? Okay. Who knows where the time goes? Um, like actually pre-modern British folk stuff. Yeah, um, well, you know, I'm a I'm a post madrigal madrigal guy. You know, there's, um, I define music by pre and post madrigal. There's um the birds with a Y and the birds with an I, who I did yeah, not think okay, I was yep, going to be yep. able to make that. There's Beck and Jeff Beck, who were next on the list. That would be a pretty good one. I like that. Um, let me see if there's any ones that I really like. Brian um, Adams and Brian Adams and Ryan Adams. I think Brian Adams and Ryan Adams is actually to... the best one. There's the yeah, Who and the really Guest. Funny. There's the Who and the Guest Who. Yeah. Um, ELO Electric Light Orchestra and ELP Emerson Lake and Palmer, but I didn't know <laughs> if I could get you to Emerson Lake and Palmer. I used um, actually I used to listen to Emerson Lake and Palmer a lot when I was in. Oh school. really? Like okay. A, well, that, yeah, they were like a staple prog band for me. That would have that would have been a good one then. ELO and ELP. I should have done that yeah. one. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any good ones that I had from this. This really cool, just like obscure a music forums website where they have like 10 pages of people throwing out uh, options for this. Um, That's very funny. So, so yeah, well you did great. You got, you got to call me an idiot. You, you got most of those. And I think the, the, the ones you didn't get, I was probably being uh, a little obscure. I don't think anyone yeah. needs to know. I mean, I have a lot of affection for Coheed and Cambria. And so I might check mm-hmm. out the deer hunters <laughs> But I, I knew you would at least get Deer Hunter. No, I I, I was thinking. Why, I don't. It's funny. I don't think of Deer Hunter as being a uh, garage band so much. But I I understand where you're coming from with it. That's just, uh, just a funny Deer Hunt. I mean, Deer Hunter has actually a pretty diverse sound across. Yeah, their I think albums. of them and more like one as like a dream poppy kind of thing. There's at least one of their albums I think you could describe as as garage rocky. Um, excellent. Well, excellent. Thank you for that well, game. Well, this was a good time. <laughs> so next time we're going to kind of continue on. Uh, on the Velvet Underground, on the fucking uh, no, no, Velvet. This is a Velvet Revolver podcast. This is a, this Come is on. now a this is now a uh, Velvet Revolver. My Velvet podcast. My no. Velvet podcast. Pod, podcast Revolver. Podcast Revolver. Velvet <laughs> podcast. Either way, yeah. Next time we're going to continue our uh, my podcast Valentine exploration into all things MBV. We are going to be talking about their sort of transitional EP and singles uh, that got them a little bit closer to the sound that we would know them for. Um, and that I think I personally enjoy significantly more than what we listen to today. And I, I hope you do too, but I'll, I'll be curious to see what your take on it is. So thank you everybody for listening uh, in this, our, our second ever series of bands, discography dives. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, and, and we'll see you what's, later. What's our sign off? Good uh, times, good podcast, good friends. Good times, good podcast, good friends. I think we should. <laughs> now, okay, here's, here's my pitch for a sign off right. that I'm just going to do live. Please. And for everyone listening, now you're what I call <laughs> listeners. I, I, I actually really like that. I actually really like that. Um, <laughs> for everyone yeah. listening, now you're what I call great folks. Yeah, should we? So, okay, so every time we're going to change the. Now, now you're, now what, you're I what I call. Yeah, okay. okay. So, like for, the, for the first one, and for everyone listening, now you're what I call listeners. Very nice. Bye. What? Bye. <laughs>